right, so 2020, this year is the Olympics. It's kind of like a kin. I mean, didn't the Olympics just happen? I know they now go like winter and summer every two years. But for those of you younger than me, the Olympics used to be a really big deal. Because in the Cold War, we, we really thought like, oh, we beat the East Germans in swimming. We are winning the war somehow. And, and it was just like really a cool, fun thing. Now, most people just don't even think about the Olympics. In fact, does anyone know where the Olympics are this summer? See, I told you, no one cares about the Olympics. Okay, so public service announcement, Tokyo is it. So get ready, you're going to hear a lot about Tokyo. So I, I do have a little dream I want to share with you guys, something I would love to do, even though the Olympics have diminished in importance, unless you were an Olympic runner, then I respect you and honor you and all that. But I don't know of any Olympic athletes in here. Are there? Are there? Are <laughs> there? Uh, but one thing I would love to do is I would love to carry the Olympic torch. Now, that would be cool, wouldn't it? To carry the torch. In fact, when I imagine myself carrying the Olympic torch, I think about this picture of the great one back in 2010, Wayne Gretzky, when the Olympics were in Vancouver. And man, just that beautiful white sweatsuit in the dark with the flame. In case you don't know who Wayne Gretzky is, he was a hockey player. And I'm not really a hockey fan, but he made hockey cool. That's why they call him the great one. I like to think of myself as the Wayne Gretzky of suburban church planting, right? <laughs> and you laugh about that. So here he is carrying this torch. Now, the only problem with the picture you see here is uh, Gretzky, who actually is an athlete, has to run. That might not work for me. So there is another really cool guy who in the 2012 Olympics did a workaround from running with the torch, and it's this guy, David Beckham. Like, check it out, man. He drove a speedboat. He didn't have to carry it. He just found a, someone to carry it for him and just rode a speedboat with the torch. And I know that I like to compare myself to Wayne Gretzky, and I know y'all laugh, but, I mean, guys, when it comes to Beckham, I'm the doppelganger. Let's just face it, all right? Okay, it's a joke. Thanks. Thanks for helping me out there. I want you to remember this picture, though, of, of an Olympic torch, especially at night, like in front of you. The Olympic torch that's shining in the dark, because that's going to be a word picture for one of the biblical words that we're going to see today. Olympic athletes, we learn a lot about purpose. Purpose in their training, purpose in their competition, they're trying to win a gold. Purpose in even their movements as the slightest variation of a movement may cost them the speed they're looking for or the edge they're looking for in competition. The purpose in the symbolism as they are representing their entire country, the history of their country, the culture the hopes of people who are watching them. This week's theme for Awaken Nashville is this. Awaken us to your purpose. And as you go through the journey, as you go through some of the material we provided, um, I don't know of a, of a better call to hear than the call of God to awaken to purpose. That's why probably the best-selling book 
of all time besides the Bible was Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, because you just read that title and it just draws you in. It's a fine book. But the point is that the call to purpose, because we don't want our life to be aimless. We don't want to just, you know, suck in oxygen for a hundred years and then fade away. And so where is our purpose? And as we spoke about before, when we evaluate that even the most successful among us and the most famous among us, for billions of us, we will be forgotten within two or three generations. And so then it makes us wonder, what is our purpose? And so we look beyond the years we can live and we look into eternity and we look beyond what we can see now, what we know now, and we tap into this faith that has always been from our God who is eternal. And, and we, we know that our hearts come alive in this Christian message because it's, it's truth that we can count on and it's truth that has been extended and it's, it's truth that's bigger than us and it's truth that gives us purpose. And so... When, when we say, awaken us to your purpose, this is not just a nice title message. This is a heart cry for us to the Father. Don't let us live lives without purpose. Don't let us have just a meaningless existence where we're not just here to pay the bills and just to be one part of a machine. We, we are image bearers of God reflecting his glory and image in everything we say, do, and who we are. And so we are infused with purpose from the Lord. And purpose starts with hearing. Hearing the call of God. And then I think it's more than just hearing. It's believing. Believing the call of God. Because some of you have heard God's call on your life. You've heard him call your name just in your heart you've sensed his love and you've just sensed the purpose of God but maybe your heart hasn't caught up with what your ears have heard so it's hearing the call of God and then believing the call of God and in our passage today that Tate read by the way Tate you're just smooth man just you're smooth you're cool you just get up here and just say I'm gonna read this scripture like a boss you know I'm stumbling and bumbling and tripping and all that. So, yeah, you're my hero, man. All right. The first organization of the scripture I want you to write down is remind you that Jesus calls. Luke, Luke 10, 1 says this. After the, Lord, after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them by two by two sent them in pairs. The Lord appointed 72 others. So he had the 12, but then he added either the 70 or the 72, depending on how the scholars translate it. He sent more. He extended beyond the 12 he started with. And, you know, in the original scriptural language, our translators, I mean, they do such great work. We trust them. I trust our translators. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. But if you haven't figured this out yet, they, they struggle sometimes with concepts of how can the English word really make this concept come home? And so some translations will say something different than others. And so just leaning into that a little bit, that word appointed, he appointed or he, 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 he called is another way to put it, 
Um, here, here's just some expanded definitions. To show forth, to display, to proclaim. And then remember the Olympic torch. This is what made me think of the Olympics and that picture of Gretzky and Beckham on the speedboat is, if you can go back, yeah, that is good. That's the picture I was talking about. To make known by lifting up. So he, Jesus, made known by lifting up. It's like we could say he took this torch in the night and says, I am sending forth pairs. I am sending them forth two by two. I'm appointing them. I'm calling them forth. And we can remember that when we think about this torch in the night. This word was used three times in the New Testament. Once in the passage we just talked about, but I think it would be helpful and encouraging to look at the two other times this particular word was used. Um, one of the times was in Acts one twenty four when when they were picking uh, replacements for Judas Iscariot. We we preached on this just a few months ago. They said they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen or appointed, if we wanted to translate it that way, or for the word picture we need today, who are you lifting up as a torch in the night? It's not just, hey, let's pick somebody who's been around for a while and put them in leadership. That's how we often fill leadership positions. They've been around for a long time. I like them. Let's put them in leadership. Though faithfulness is a, is a great criteria, it's not the only criteria. There's a, there's a leadership of the Lord. There's a, a call. There's a glory. There's a weight. There's a sense that God's on this person for this task. There's a sense that, that God, who is telling his story and is, is bringing his kingdom forth, is saying, I am lifting that person up, not in a prideful way, not in a way to, to make them more important than others. No, that's not the heart of it. So that the glory of Jesus is clearer you know, so the light of the world, which is Jesus, shines brightly in darkness. And, and the church community, through the leadership of Jesus, is saying, this person's appointed or this person's called and this person is shining forth. And I just want you to know, as your pastor, that's for you too. It's not just for a handful of people in the church. Every believer gets to participate. Every, everyone gets to play in the game. Everyone gets playing time. Everyone's in because God's gifted you. He's anointed you. He's given you not only just one of the 12 spiritual gifts or seven categories or, or Enneagram number, he's given you like a, a distinct DNA that no one else in the world has ever had and no one else will ever be replicated or have again. Well, I guess maybe they're trying to replicate DNA. So I won't say that next service, but if God's the only originator. He's the only originator. And so it is like, this is, you, you are shining in the night. You are appointed by God. You are called by God. You are thrust forth into kingdom purpose. You're alive for a reason. You exist to show the light and glory of God. This is a beautiful thing. John the Baptist, was, he was a child. This word was used also in Luke 180. It said the child being John the Baptist. This is Luke 180. The child grew up. And became spiritually strong. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Or his appointment. Or his call to Israel. Or the word picture again. 
his being shown forth like a light in darkness. You know, a good, a good word for this is his installation. That's a word we would understand. He, he grew up and he became strong and he was in the wilderness until the day of his installation to Israel, his call, his, his coming forth. And so I, I say this to you because some of us take our appointments from the Lord for granted and, and we maybe have gotten accustomed to them or used to it or we, um, we've, we've, not, we've not fully appreciated the wonder of it. You know, the first time I ever got called pastor, and now I'm telling you guys, don't call me pastor, just call me Aaron. But back then it was good. It helped me to spur on my call. It was 25 years ago last month at Paola Assembly of God Church. I, I was 19 years old, and uh, they gave me a bag of candy and a microphone and said, go take care of the kids um, during service, and now you're Pastor Aaron. It wasn't mo- the most distinguished call, but man, wow, now a quarter of a century later, I'm more grateful to be, um, I'm called to that as particular assignment. And that's my story, but your story is, is equally spectacular because it's a story God's chosen for you. And, and he's chosen you to be who you are, to do what you do, to meet the people you meet, to have the background you've had because your future is great in Jesus. Guys, the future before us is a powerful force. So many of us dread the future and we're fearful of the future and we think of the future and, and, and like a cloud comes over us and I understand those realities. I'm not belittling uh, where you are in this state of mind right now, but I just know through Jesus, the future before us is great for every human being. Even though who's, who are battling really, really tough things through Christ, we know that, that their life will not end. Their life will extend and there's a greater glory in heaven. In heaven. And so we... we bring that reality of heaven to our personal lives with our conduct and how we live and how we, we direct our hearts. Or like I often say, how we orientate our hearts. That is for one of the 242 groups who like to play Pastor Aaron Bingo. And every time I say the word orientate, they all chuckle together. And I discovered the story. So, and I almost said orientate again. Yeah, there we go. Here's an Old Testament scripture that just makes this word come alive anymore because it's one of my favorite scriptures. Habakkuk 3.2. Lord, I've heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in all of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known, like appoint it, call it, let it shine forth like a torch in the night in these years. And in your wrath, remember mercy. So I, I read those two additional New Testament scriptures and the Old Testament scriptures. If we can go back, this is out of sequence, Michael, but go back to Luke 10, 1 again so you can see that word. Lord, uh, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. He sent them out. He sent them out into the future. He sent them out to do his will, to do his purposes. Um, a lot of you know our story. Beth and I met here in Nashville 22 years ago. We've been married 21 years. And so she's from Eastern Kentucky. I'm from Dallas. So we, we met in our 
in our 20s and kind of grew up together that way. And Nashville became a special city for us. We did move back to Dallas for three and a half years. That's where Luke and Abby were born. Actually, it was Abby and then Luke. And so in those three and a half years, we were back in Dallas area. We had a picture in our house of the Nashville skyline. And, you know, it's where we met, the city we met. And we didn't know at that time we would ever come back or didn't think we would ever come back. Um, but, you know, we, it was a special place to us because that's where uh, we'd met. And so when Abby was like three years old and learning how to talk and Beth was raising her, they would look at that picture and um, she, they would have a phrase together. They would say, our city, that's our city. Do you guys believe these stories I tell you? Just in case you don't believe them, here's a picture, okay? All right. And this picture has been in my office. I, I rotate office pictures, but this is the one, one of the pictures that had been in my office. So it was probably taken, I think, in 98, if you, if you read the, the small part. And, and this picture, uh, little Abby, who's almost 20 now, would say, it's our city, and it was cute and it was good, but what we didn't realize is that maybe God was using her voice and this picture uh, to keep, keep his appointment alive in our hearts. And one of the, one of the things that, that's so neat about the Lord is the Lord has plans for cities and towns. And, you know, we think we choose a place to live for, you know, we like the arts and we like the trees and all that. And God uses those desires. But he's up to something bigger. He's up to something bigger. And I want you to write this down. Jesus has plans for towns and communities. And, and I want you to see this here in the scripture. Back to 10.1. Luke 10.1. It says, he sent them out in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Oh, this is beautiful. The Lord sent people in pairs to places that he wanted to be. Isn't it wonderful to think that God sent us ahead to be together today? And he's building his kingdom through this community and through the other communities we partner with. Because we're not the only place, but we're a special place. We're a special place because we're the place that God's called us to be. And, and he's, he's brought us all together here. And, and we're moving into neighborhoods and we're taking jobs and we're putting our kids in schools and we're joining uh, different kinds of groups and interests, places of interest. And, and we think it's all for self-fulfillment, but it's really kingdom fulfillment. Because Jesus sends his followers ahead into cities and towns he cares about. He cares deeply about Gallatin and Goodlettsville and Nashville, Hendersonville. I can name a dozen other cities because I know White House. We're right here in a centralized location. So many, many communities are represented just in the couple of hundred people that are in the service here. And, and every one of them are special to the Lord. And, and you're in this community for a reason. He himself was about to come. The 72 would prepare the way so that, that the community would be ready for Jesus. Isn't that great that that's what we're doing? We're preparing the way for Jesus. And, there, you know, there's lots of civic issues 
in the communities we live in. And it's just easy as Jesus followers to get caught up in our opinions and to forget our calling. So maybe if we're living in Hendersonville, we're like, oh, the roads, the roads aren't big enough. There's not enough lanes here. Why'd I move here? If we're in Gallatin, we may say, why are they putting the courthouse downtown? If we're in Nashville, we may be saying, we can't afford a soccer stadium. Or I moved here because I wanted a professional soccer stadium. And we get all just stirred up. And I want you to have an opinion and be civically involved. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to let your voice be known and all that. But don't let it pollute your spirit to forget your divine appointment. And and I thought about Jonah. Jonah was sent to Nineveh and he didn't want to go there. And then (laughs) Jonah regretted this, but revival broke out in Nineveh. The very place that Jonah didn't want to go. And he was mad about it. And specifically, he got comfortable there when a tree grew up and then God cursed this tree and he lost his shade. It kind of reminds me what it happens like when Gallatin Road or that nice little family who moved next door. The kids are playing basketball too late at night. And we get discomfort. We get uncomfortable. We get we get irritable. And Jonah was that way because this shade tree that he had, um, it, it, it died. It, the sun scorched it. There was no more shade. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, this is the culmination. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over, it did not grow. It appeared in the night and perished in the night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish their right and their left, as well as many animals. In other words, people don't even know right from wrong. Don't know light from darkness. And so let's be informed people, but let's have the power of gentleness so that we don't let civic issues pollute our call to the people who need to know Jesus. And so we could have a an attitude of love and, and cooperation because we're, we're looking at the bigger picture. We're looking at the souls of people in, in our schools and, and in our neighborhoods and in the job places we work and who are driving on I-65 with us and are irritating us, but they're souls who need God. And that's what part of Awaken Nashville is about, awaken us to purpose. You know, so we're not just living the stereotypes. I find myself as I move into middle age, like I'm falling into all the stereotypes I used to tease people about. It's just like, you can't help it. Uh, But when it comes to the condition of my soul, I don't want to fall into those stereotypes. I I, want to be, I want to be kingdom minded with vision that the Lord has with a heart for what matters in the kingdom. And part of that is living that life of purpose that he has. I have three teenagers and they all three have jobs right now. Glory be to God, our father. (laughs) 
in the food industry, and one's at a coffee shop, one's at a restaurant, one's at a fast food place. Check in with me next week, and let me, I'll let you know how that's going. But I've noticed about them is that teenagers often work in clusters. You know, they work in clusters, and so it's not really about how much they're going to get paid. It's more about who else is working there. Or where can I work where no one will see me kind of thing. And it's logical because if you're, if you're needing more workers, the first place you look is to other workers. So if someone's a boss, she may ask, she may, she may realize that um, we need to hire more employees. And so the first place to start is to ask the employees you already have and say, who do you know who needs work? Who do you, who do you know who may need a job? And, and so this works well with, with these clusters of teenagers. The owner wants the employees to share the burden and share in the solution and maybe even share in the business as ownership is taken. This leads me to my last point today out of this passage. Jesus responds. Jesus responds by this. Jesus says, hey, those of you who are working, who else can work with you? Those of you who are in the harvest, who else can be part of gathering the harvest? Look at verse two. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And so Jesus told those who were already working in the harvest he said, you guys pray for more workers in the harvest. Jesus' response to the need in the world is to double down with us. We always want to look for the other hero. You know, if, if we just had a great, uh, another youth pastor, a second youth pastor, we could really reach the junior hires then. Or, or if, you know, if we just had one more rotate, rotating person on the lawn crew, then it would be once every six weeks instead of one every four weeks. And you know, we're, always, we're always looking for that solution without. But the solution starts within. And so the Lord hears the prayers of not distant observers who are like talk radio, the politicians ought to do this, the coach ought to throw the ball more, they ought to do this. No, the Lord listens to the prayers of the people who are in the harvest field that says, come join me in the harvest because God's revelation is his invitation. And so when you see a need, he tells you to pray for the need and then you can often be the answer to the prayers. Jesus invited those who were already laboring, the 72 that started out in verse one and said, you guys pray more because harvesting is hard work. And I want to tell you, building a church is a hard work. And a 242 group hosting that and leading that is hard work. And creating a women's Bible study is hard work. It's not easy. You don't just, you don't just decide to do something and people show up. It's hard work and it takes risk. And if it didn't take risk to start a ministry, then everyone would do it. And it takes failing forward often. 
and, and so it is with evangelism. It takes risk. It's like sales. It's like every, for every, you know, for every 10 rejections for every one yes. And that's work, and that can be hard. And so often we pray for an easier job. Make it easier, Lord. Send more harvesters because I want it to be easier. When God hasn't called it necessarily to be easier, he is looking more for more production in the community. So we aren't looking for replacements. We're looking for co-laborers. We're looking for people who can get alongside of us. And we find true community when we're about the Father's business. We're about the kingdom business. When you begin to pull away from the call of the Lord, it's just like you pull, 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 pull. Less volunteering, less engagement, less community, uh, less participation. And all of a sudden, you don't realize that. You think you're just arranging your schedule, but you're really just reducing your heart. Because your heart, your heart is slowly stepping away from the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about those of you who are burned out. That's a different sermon. This is today's sermon. Those are those who are stepping out and stepping out and, 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 and not investing in purpose. I didn't know this would take this form today. Jesus is not looking for spectators. He's looking for laborers. And he says, you laborers, pray for more laborers. And so as, he, as we usher in this great revival that we want to see in the United States of America... We want to see a great revival. The harvest comes through the harvesters who are working with Jesus to start kingdom work. The particular kind of harvest he was referring to was the late harvest that would happen at the end of summer, at the beginning of fall. And so he was saying, the harvest that's about to end, we need to get more people involved. I'm going to keep preaching, but I'm going to ask our ushers to position themselves to distribute communion so you guys and gals can get organized while I finish the sermon. And, and I just want to say time is short. The opportunity for harvest when the crop is right and the weather is fine, Jesus has set the conditions for the harvest. He's calling for all hands to go to the fields and to work. The gospel, it's time for it to be preached. And I'm not talking about some kind of end time scenario, though that could occur and it might not, who knows? It might be a thousand years before Jesus comes back. It may be. That's not the focus here. The focus is time is short. Time is short for that preteen to give his or her heart fully to Jesus because when they get their driver's license, they won't care as much. Time is short. Time is short for the young couple who is visiting the church that is craving for community and, and they're just needing someone to reach out to them and, and to invite them to their group. They need someone to just like cut their conversation with their friend five minutes short to go meet someone new. Time is short for them. Time is short for the middle-aged man who is, who is going through midlife crisis and doesn't know where he's gonna go with all these emotions and he needs a men's Bible study. And he needs a friend and he needs, he needs accountability. Time is short for marriages that, that are on the edge. Time is short for single people who, who may want to give up on, on the standards God wants for them in a spouse. And they need the church to come along and to help them uphold the, the standards of righteousness that God has for them. That's where time is short. Hey, let's not get our minds so much on, on a timeline, on a chart, as much as we, we get our eyes on the condition of our brother and sister around us. 
And in this time, the labor is here. The harvest is here. And so this is what Jesus says. This doesn't sound too encouraging. Verse three, look, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Like, I don't want to go. I don't want to. I'm not signing up for that. In fact, I, I've, been, I've been scared about that before. You know, I've had older people in the Lord say, hey, you're being sent out as a lamb among wolves. Be careful. And that feels scary and ominous. And it feels like doom is upon me because the world has never seen a lamb hang out with a wolf and survive. So this is an impossibility. This is crazy. What's he saying? Jesus is sending us out as lambs among wolves. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus do that? Doesn't sound like good leadership if we're being honest. Here's the difference. What is impossible in the natural It's possible when someone shows up and that's the shepherd because the shepherd, his shepherd is there to keep the lambs from being eaten by the wolves and he will protect us. The key is to focus not on the wolves, but on the shepherd, on the shepherd of our soul, Jesus, as he sets up residence within us. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that Lord, as we move to this time, of communion, that, Lord, you would awaken purpose within us. Lord, I just thank you. You have a plan. You have a call. I thank you, Lord. You have a plan for towns and communities. You have a plan, oh God, for Welch College. You have a plan, oh God, for the schools our children attend. You have a plan for the neighborhoods we live in. You have a plan for the businesses that we work in. You have a plan for CIL, a one special light among our brothers and sisters in this spiritual family in North Nashville, one of many lights so we can be one light for Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you that we don't fear the future. We don't fear the wolves. We don't fear the evil that's increasing around us because we have been sent by you and you are with us in the place we've been sent, in the place of danger, in the place of trouble, in the place of trepidation, in the place where you feel like everything's gonna be extinguished. The shepherd of your soul is with you. He's beside you and he's gonna lead you where you need to go and he's gonna protect you from every predator and he's gonna keep you safe and you're gonna go to places you didn't know you could go You're going to take territory you didn't think you could take, not because you're great, but because he's great. You are going to to make progress that you haven't seen in your life before, not because you're great, but because Jesus has sent you to a place that he's going to join you where you go. That's who our Jesus is. We are preparing a place for you. And so we love you. We thank you.